Blog Talk Radio. Oh, baby, we're back on the air. Yes, back at it again. It's the NFL Draft Bible Radio Show. New and improved, ladies and gentlemen. And if you can't tell, we're all pumped up. And the snow is just pounding America right now, giving us a reason to watch more college bowl games. Yes, we go back, we rewatch them, we TV them, we record them, we dissect them. We got Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold declaring for the draft. Who's the best? Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield have something to say about it, too. The NFL draft is flowing through my veins. It's all right. See, in a place to be, Rick Saratella rejuvenated back at it again for 2018 just four months away from that 2018 NFL draft here on January the 4th be welcomed in with uh, Joe Everett and Justin Gamble in just a second but just let me tell you a little something something what's going on with the NFL draft Bible first off first destination on the draft leg kicking off the draft season out in Pasadena the historic Rose Bowl I'm really excited about that will be on location for the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl Bringing you the names you need to know out there in uh, sunny California. Looking forward to escaping that Jersey weather and heading over there for a few weeks. And then we'll be out in Indianapolis for the NFL Scouting Combine. But first, we have the National Scouting Combine. Well, what's the difference, you ask? The difference is this. If you don't receive an invitation to the NFL Scouting Combine, the National Scouting Combine is the next best thing. We are targeting the top 500 prospects, you know, 350 to 500 if 350 are going to Lucas Oil Stadium we want the next best guys because this is the next best event and there's going to be no NFL regional combine so if you want to get tested measured evaluated come check us out National Scouting Combine you can email me direct ric at nfldraftbible.com of course we have the NFL Draft Bible Scout Plus package that a bunch of players are taking advantage of it includes an in-depth scouting report and appearance on our NFL Draft Bible Player Spotlight Show. You can email me again for that, RIC at NFLDraftBible.com. But listen, if you tuned in last week, we appreciated it. It was our uh, overwhelming way to end the season on a bang, way to end the year on a bang, our most popular show of the year, NFL Draft Bible Radio. We're back at it again here. There's a lot to get to. We appreciate you tuning in. Again, we're on Block Talk Radio, iTunes, and, of course, the NFLDraftBible.com, bringing you the names you need to know first since 2002. Today we're going to talk about underclassmen, good decisions, bad decisions, maybe a few surprises. How about that bowl season and the college football playoffs? A lot to get to with that. Of course, we'll preview that championship matchup with the number four seed, Alabama. They're just a favorite in every game, aren't they? And to think we weren't going to put them in the playoffs. Hey, now, players that the mainstream media value too high, too low. Of course, that ties into our underclassmen watch. You know, hey, as of last night, 55 underclassmen declared. We've got another 11 days until the underclassmen deadline on January the 15th. I think I woke up this morning about five more players declared. So we're out to about 60 players. Just remember this one thing. If you are an underclassman player listening to this show right now, historically, history shows one-third of you will not even get drafted. So make sure you get with the right people, you lean on people that you trust and value their advice and respect, and make the right decision out there. Okay, time to get at it. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a jam-packed show. First off, This guy has never been leaving a stone unturned for over a decade strong here at the NFL Draft Bible. He's Joe Everett, the director of college football scouting. You can follow him on 
Twitter at Joe W Average Joe. Hey, I got a lot of oxygen ready to just burst on people today. How you doing over there? I'm doing great. Uh, it's, it's that time of year. I mean, everyone's looking forward to next season. The draft orders starting to get cemented, and yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. There's going to be a lot of kids that wish uh, maybe they stayed in school for that senior or junior or whatever year. That's um, uh, it, it is a numbers game, and that's, that's something you just cannot escape. Yeah, and I expect at least 100 underclassmen to declare. Once again, that's been about the number each and every single season. The co-director of college football uh, scouting, dropping a hammer on him on Twitter, at GamScout. He is Justin Gamble. And, Justin, aside from the three of us, the only other people more excited about the NFL draft is probably the Cleveland Browns. Two picks in the top six, John Dorsey. And now this week, Alonzo Highsmith coming over from Green Bay. Very interesting developments by the uh, the lake over there in Ohio, but uh, how are we doing here today? Hey, man, I'm doing amazing. That was just an insane bowl season so far. I mean, the the weekend with those two games was phenomenal. And, I mean, it's rumor season now. Now that the draft order is getting set and we got Dorsey throwing shade at everybody in the front office, I mean, this is going to be a fun season. Uh, tons of speculation, you know what I mean? But, like, I, it's the, just looking at my board, looking at everything. It's such a unpredictable year for so many different things. So I am super hyped, man. Of course. And also number two, the Giants sitting there, David Gettleman now reversing course. Sounds like he's going to stick with Eli Manning. So what did the Giants do there at number two? Let's get into that because underclassmen, I don't know, within minutes apart, gentlemen, uh, I forget who was first, Rosen, Darnold. They both declare they both, tossed their hat into the ring and uh Justin let's start it off with you this week we, we're talking about Cleveland obviously Sam Darnold uh says I don't care where I go Josh Rosen uh you know taking a little bit of a different approach we've seen it in the past with guys like Eli Manning and John Elway maybe trying to force their hand a little bit just uh first off thoughts and impressions on the two quarterbacks and uh a sticky situation there in Cleveland your take I mean look it's 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 tough to diagnose these two quarterbacks because one might have the upside. He's a playmaker. He, you know, excels without the structure. Um, He kind of breaks the defense down and he's got, you know, the physical athletic ability that you want in Darnold. Um, But is he pro ready? I don't think so. There's a lot of things about his game that are so raw and that he needs so much development on. And then you look at Josh Rosen and I mean, I've said it before, this guy, for me, he's in between where Jameis and Andrew Luck was. He's kind of right in the middle of that. And I, I don't know if you can pass on such a, you know, savvy passer and just – I mean, th- he's a surgeon when you give him time, when you give him protection. But can he go to somewhere like Cleveland and, you know, weather that storm? And, you know, and like I said, his rumor season, does Dorsey really – are the rumors true? Does Dorsey really hate his personality? Is, would he pass on Rosen and go with Josh Allen or whoever – um, it's kind of it's just one of those interesting things because Rosen he might be right he he does need to go to the right spot he said he wants to go to the best team for him or whatever you know what I mean he does he this is a guy that you have to protect that you have to put in a good situation he's not just going to walk in and take over with his physical ability you know he's not Lamar Jackson or anything like that where maybe Darnold can go somewhere and fit a little better just because he's got the athleticism the mobility he can kind of make it work with his you know physical traits for a little bit but I mean, 
it, if I'm Cleveland, I can't pass on a guy like Rosen. But, you know, Dorsey seems like an old school type of guy. I mean, we know he is. So is, uh, is this one of those things where the rumors turn out to be true and Dorsey has to pass on someone as good as Josh Rosen? Well, you bring up a good point about being protected. We know Rosen has two concussions, at least, that we know of. Uh, who knows if there's been more than that, but I think that's something that kind of gets buried in the headlines here is, uh, you know, that, that concussion protocol at the next level now is uh, a much more delicate situation, probably more delicate than it's ever been. Um, Joe, can Dorsey call Rosen's bluff? Is he bluffing about the reports coming out? And also do Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield or even Lamar Jackson have a say about that first round consideration. And then we'll get into underclassmen, good decision, bad decisions. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't be willing to unless you personal meetings, get, get into Rosen's face and it's like, yeah, I hear what you said, but what do you really mean? What's really going to happen? What kind of player are we going to get? But I would just remind people this Cleveland Browns franchise kind of likes USC kids. Hayes Bullard, Randall Telfair. They drafted Cody Kessler. They've, obviously have no problem with that program. So, I mean, that's, to me, it seems they'd lean a little Darnold. Uh, Josh Allen would make some sense. But, yeah, I mean, that definitely gives you cause for concern, the fact that he goes out and, you know, puts you on the map. Um, But, yeah, I'm just looking at a quarterback class. This is just really shaping up to be a great group. And almost just what's your flavor of ice cream here? Is there really a wrong decision when I think you got four really terrific prospects and take a little rewind to last season, man, this group, by comparison, (laughs) looked pretty doggone good. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even uh, touch base on some of the other guys like – I don't know. Some people like Luke Falk. Others like Mason uh, Rudolph. I know Mike White is a guy we've talked about a lot on this show. And, um, you know, Kyle Lawletta is a guy under the radar who I like a lot. So, yeah, you're right, Joe. It is a very um, interesting quarterback class. I think we could see about a dozen or so quarterbacks drafted. Um, So, with that being said, let's uh, shift gears a little bit here with the underclassmen. Like I said, every time I go and check my email, I'm getting another notification of an underclassman going out. So with that being said, I'll stick with you, Joe. Uh, Good decisions, bad decisions, surprises. What's your take here in the last week or so since we chatted a a whole wave of underclassmen here have declared since we last spoke? Well, just some good and bad, and I'll just peg away a couple obvious ones. Saquon Barkley. Uh, I don't think he could do it any better than he did. He's right out on a high, was a Heisman hopeful, and just don't see a weakness uh, in the game. And he strikes me, too, as a guy that's going to show up in Indy. Uh, That vertical leap has showed up in footage and highlight reels already. So I'm expecting 40 inches. Uh, He just looks like a 4'4 guy, maybe the – gets to the 4-3 level, but I'm, I'm guessing 4-4-something. Four, 4-4-anything four four, 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 for his size is great. And also, that Penn State offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, leaving for Mississippi State, uh, I think that changes some things. You, you had two years with him. May as well just sayonara on that. And then the running back position, I mean, you, why risk the further injury? Same thing with on Johnson in that respect. Uh, he got dinged up towards the end of the season, so you got to wonder where his shoulders at. Medical is going to be red flag on him, and if there's a reason for Kerryon Johnson to come out, 
Look at your teammate Cameron Pedway this year, exactly this time last year. Oh, no, I'll stay. Well, what happened? He's injured. He didn't play at all uh, towards the end of the season. And uh, now next season he may be backing up Cam Martin. Uh, if he comes back from this injury, which, you know, I assume he does, but still, like, draft stock-wise, boy, Petway could have taken advantage. And I think right now, Kerryon Johnson just has a huge painted picture of why uh, he should come out. And then uh, the SMU receiver, Trey Quinn, I like this kid a lot. Transferred out of LSU, get into a better passing offense, take advantage of his eligibility, and boy, did he. Uh, let him in receptions, and also that's another situation. The coach at SMU leaves. Uh, things are about to change. I think uh, striking while the iron's hot was the way to go for him. He won't be drafted high probably, but I, I don't care. I mean, like, if things are really about to change and you just kind of fall off the map, that 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 gives him a little reason in my mind. Um, the bad ones, the, the Hercules Mata'afa, I don't know where he fits in, what he's going to do with it. If, I don't think he could survive as a three-tech with that size. Uh, I think he's still undersized for five-tech. I don't think he's got the spring or the first step to be like that stand-up rusher or even an edge rusher at a three-point stance to take advantage of where he's good. But a good player, just not great, and I don't find a fit. Uh, Tanner Lee, uh, go home, kid. I mean, you may be the best athlete for the Tri-Lambs, the Lambda-Lambda-Lambda squad, but it's going to be tough sledding in the pros. I don't I don't know why he comes out there. I think that's bad. And then uh, one surprise for me, I don't think – well, a few surprises. I guess Ryan Null, Oregon State, Dalton Schultz, Stanford, those two strikes are like kind of why. Uh, I think Ryan Null, though, if, if, if I could predict a team fit – he strikes me as a Patriots player, uh, just like maybe a fullback for them, uh, the replacement for uh, whoever they've got there. So, uh, but yeah, it's just um, there's some bad decisions, definitely some surprises there. Dalton Schultz, I love the player, but uh, look at the stats. What have you done for me lately? Kind of thing. It's uh, going to be tough to get drafted off of that. Yeah, Schultz, and I would agree with uh, also Larry Izzo from Florida State, another tight end who came out early that, you know, I I watched him up in uh, Boston College where, you know, Ty Schwab, uh, shout out to Ty Schwab, uh, under the radar linebacker prospect was just all over Izzo, like glue, shut him down the entire game. Uh, I mean, this was like Dennis Rodman type defense. Uh, You mentioned Hercules, Joe. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Kyle Van Noy coming out where, you know, ultra productive at BYU, kind of a tweener type of player, not really sure about his strength at the next level. I know uh, Matafafa, he he had a big season this past year. I evaluated him before the season, really wasn't impressed with him in terms of a first day selection. But, you know, the pass rushers, there's been a decrease of double-digit pass rushers you know, the last four years, there's been about 15, whereas, you know, the previous four years, there was more about 20, whatever that's worth. People value pass rushers. And then the final thought, you mentioned some of the wide receivers there, Joe. I counted already 11 wide receivers who have declared early. Uh, so, you know, with that being said, Justin, we shift gears. A quarterback class going to be deep. Wide receiver class going to be deep. What else? Uh, stands out to you in terms of the last week of underclassmen declarees? Well, I'm glad Darnold declared because, I mean, we've seen in the past some of these guys, especially like the USC guys, like Matt Barkley, you know, or Jake Locker, they they stay 
Locker is not a USC guy, but, you know, from the same conference. But anyways, you see these guys stay another year and try to improve their game or whatever, um, and then, it, you know, it, it blows up in their face because there's so much more to critique the more tape you get. Um, you know, Darnold had kind of a rough year, but the fact that he's still gaining hype as a top-five pick potentially is enough to say, like, you know, take your shot, get out of there, go to the NFL. You might not be ready, but at least you're not going to drop to the third or fourth round like Barkley did. Um, so, I, for me, when I heard Donald declared, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you have to. I think it was a, a must for him. Um, some other guys that declared that I liked was Josh Jackson, the Iowa cornerback, um, converted wide receiver. You can see it on tape, his ball skills, the way he can track and stay in a receiver's hip pocket. He just kind of understands where to be, when to be there. Um, he's riding the hype off a big year, and I think back – it's not going to do a whole lot for him when he showed on tape, you know, a lot of the things that NFL scouts are looking for with, you know, the, the physicality and the length and the ball skills. It, it's just one of those things where you got to come out, you, you put a great year on tape, cornerbacks, you know, notoriously, it's a tough position. Going back, I don't know what else he could have gained. I'm really glad he declared. Um, another one, Christian Kirk. He had another, he had a huge year production wise. Um, and I think he showed scouts enough of what he's going to be a slot receiver. And he showed them his physical attributes. He showed them the speed, the explosiveness. Going back uh, with Jimbo Fisher coming in, bringing in that pro-style offense most likely, uh, if things aren't clicking in, in that kind of offense, then, you know, the receivers are not going to get the ball. And I think he could go back and see a huge drop in production. So why risk that? Just come out now. You're on a huge – you came up, you know, a huge year. Get out of there. You're going to be what you're going to be in the NFL regardless. You're going to be good. You're going to be a high pick. Get out. Um, one of the bad ones that stood out for me was Matt Thomas, the FSU inside linebacker. This guy coming out of high school was like a four- or five-star recruit, um, and he showed some flashes at Florida State down in Tallahassee, but, like, he's a, he has poor instincts. I mean, he never put a great year on tape. I think he was injured a little bit of last year, even this year. All I know is, Every, you know, both seasons that I've watched him extensively, it's just hit or miss each game. And I think coming out, he might not get drafted. He might be like Christian Jones from Florida State a few years ago, where it's like this guy is a freak athlete, but you never put anything great on tape. So why come out? Um, it's, I think if he went back and had a great year, had a solid year even, you might see a day two pick. But coming out right now, just, you know, I, I, don't, I think he's losing a ton of money. Um, and what Joe said was Tanner Lee. I kind of agree. I wrote down next to Tanner Lee. I put, I don't know, because he's a transfer from Tulane. He's a little older. Um, he had an up and down year. He's got the NFL traits. He's got the size. He's got the arm talent. But the picks just, you know, they, he couldn't, he couldn't stop throwing to the other team this year. There's a few games where he looked great. Penn State, I don't think he threw a pick in that game. Um, then he faced Oregon. I think he threw like four. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Scott Frost coming in, he could have flourished in that system. We'll never know, but just one of those things where I think it was kind of an odd choice for him, but I get, he's got to take his shot at the NFL right now. He's feeling the time ticking on him, but a, a weird decision from Tanner Lee. Yeah. I mean, he was terrible against Rutgers and a few other games. I saw him and, you know, when he's on, he's on, but you know, the flashes are too far and too few between all the dumb decision-making that I've seen. And, yeah, you know, you're passing up the opportunity to work with Scott Frost. Really could have boosted his draft stock, in my opinion. Not only that, we talked about the depth in this year's draft class. I mean, 
I wouldn't be surprised if he goes day three. In fact, he might be lucky if he goes day three. But we have to uh, shift gears and move it on and keep it moving here on the NFL Draft Bible radio show. New and improved, baby. Check us out, NFLDraftBible.com. Can't stop, won't stop. We keep it coming, baby. We can't stop. We won't ever stop. Justin Gamble, Joe Everett, RIC in the place to be. Telling it like it is. When it comes to draft since 2002, it's what we do, baby. All right, fellas, let's talk about final thoughts and impressions from the bowl season. Uh, we'll get to that college football championship preview in just a second. And, uh, you know, if you have any thoughts from the New Year's Day playoffs, I guess we'll lump them together uh, wherever you like it. But, uh Save the save the Georgia Alabama matchup for the next segment. For now, let's discuss the bowl season. Um, final thoughts and impressions. Anyone who stood out to you, Justin, disappointed or anywhere in between? Man, yeah, Lamar Jackson had another rough bowl game against an SEC team. I mean, he just looked outmatched. Um, and the thing is, you know, there's this argument for him that he doesn't have weapons. He blah blah, you know. But I, I don't see that. I mean, he's got a decent run game. He's got a decent O-line. He's got Jalen Smith at receiver. He's got some weapons. It's not nearly as bad as I think the narrative wants it to be that people are kind of spewing out. Um, I think when you watch him, his his flaws really stand out on tape uh, in both bowl games. Uh, his footwork, his decision-making, being he needs, to, he needs to read it quick. He's got to get the ball and read it quick. And you see him – kind of hesitate sometimes, go through his reads, and you see that the tentativeness, he's not sure what to do. And then, you know, thrown outside the numbers, it's atrocious with him sometimes. And a lot of it has to do with his feet and his foundation, but that stuff's muscle memory. Can that be fixed or not? You know, can a great quarterback coach actually get that out of him, or is he going to be limited like that, you know, for the rest of his career? Um, it, it, it just gets to the point where it seems like if you play cover one robber on him, and force him to throw in the middle of the field where he's actually good. But if you take that away, then what else can he do? Um, his bowl game for me was just another one of those, like, oh, boy, I, you know, I know people want him to be something fantastic and we want him to be flawless, but he's just not that. He's a good player. He's a good quarterback. But as a pro prospect, I, I don't see that top 20 pick yet. Um, you know, his athleticism might be what saves him, but maybe not. And then, you know, watching the uh, Georgia-Oklahoma game, Baker Mayfield, that first half was great. It was screens and play actions and gimmicky stuff. And then second half rolls around, and Georgia kind of figured out what to do. They figured out how to attack the protections. And it felt like Baker got rattled a little bit when he didn't have, you know, 13 seconds to throw the ball. Um, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted about, you know, Baker's that guy that stays away from tight windows. He kind of needs to see his guys wide open in the clear. And that's something I've been talking about all year with him. Um, and it was kind of – it was one of the same knocks I had on Derek Carr coming out of Fresno State. It's like the spread kind of – the spread offense kind of puts it in their minds that there's always going to be someone wide open, so I'm going to wait for that guy. But in the NFL, you need to attack man coverage hard. you got to go in there. you got to attack the tight windows. And it just seems like that's going to be one of those big things that Baker has to deal with coming to the NFL because you can't hold the ball for 12 seconds in the NFL. And he's certainly not athletic enough like a Russell Wilson or anyone like that to run around and make plays happen when, you know, the pressure gets to him. So Baker kind of showed off some of those um, things on tape that 
I've been worried about all year. And then, you know, he plays an SEC team and it really, really showed when the, when the protection broke down. So for him, it, it's one of those, just another question mark to add on to his scouting report. And then last thing, the two linebackers, um, Georgia Smith and Evans, Evans from Bama, those dudes showed out and they're both in those games. I mean, they were all over the field, physical, fast. I do like Evans a little more than Smith, but both guys have their place in the NFL and they're going to be great players. Justin, you know, before I uh, go over to uh, Joe, I'm curious on your personal big board, you're giving a round grade value to Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson. What round value are you putting on these guys on your personal big board? You're running the war room. What round do you start thinking about taking these guys? I mean, without context, it's tough because, you know, as we've seen with Goff and Wentz and whatever, it, t- it depends on the system. It depends on the quarterback coach. It depends on the offensive coordinator. But in a vacuum, I don't think these are guys I take in the first round just with that risk that they don't go to the right spot. I, I mean, second round, I feel comfortable taking either of them. I want to make sure I get someone in the first round that I know is going to be good for our team and that I know is going to be a playmaker. And then, you know, second round, I say these guys have the traits and the skill to where – I feel like at least we got one, you know, they're good enough to where we got one, we got one guy in the first round, second round. I can, I can roll with one of these two because they do need to go to the right fit. They need the right offense. Um, but I just can't justify taking these guys as my first player. Um, if I'm, if I'm running a team. No, I tend to agree with you, Justin. Uh, you know, I think there's a big difference too. Even if you're the 33rd pick, it's different than going in the first round. Once you're a quarterback selected in the first round, fan base, front office, there's expectations there that, you know, this guy was chosen to be a franchise quarterback. And, you know, I think in the second round, it kind of alleviates some of that pressure. Uh, Joe, before we get to your uh, final bowl season thoughts, just real quickly, your, your grade on Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson are, you know, are you in agreement or differ with us? Well, if it's me and I've got my druthers, Mayfield's a first-rounder and maybe Lamar Jackson's a day three because I wouldn't run that offense. But if you've got an offense that caters to a mobile quarterback and that backside threat like what they're doing with Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo, and that is just a difficult proposition for a defense. you got one running back one way, the mobile quarterback the other way, the backside contain has to be there. So you've got one less defender always on your running back. So... Lamar Jackson has value. There's no question. So I, I guess if you run that scheme, you've got a coach that could make it work and is pounding the table for him, I'd, I'd give him day two, uh, round two or round three. But to me, Mayfield, I, I see some special traits. And, you know, that game, once you're right, the, the adjustment was forced and stuff to the perimeter. Uh, that's where they had to go with the run. That's where they had to go with the pass. And Mayfield – changed after getting that knee to the rib from the Georgia linebacker. I think that changed his throwing motion and his accuracy. I know he was hurt. I saw two different frames where he was wincing. So, I mean, that's this isn't a guy that, like, he's a gamer. He's not going to wince just for show or, like, for drama purposes. This is not a Ben Roethlisberger uh, with the small violin playing in the background wearing two different color <laughs> shoes. Baker Mayfield's the real deal, and I'm, I'd, I'd spend a first. I'd stick my neck out for a kid like that. All right. There you go, Joe Everett. Uh, Baker leading that Baker Mayfield train. Get on board and uh, 
I'll just throw out a wild, crazy production. You know, the news of uh, Johnny Manziel running around CFL up there in Hamilton, the Tiger Cats, they just traded Zach Caleros to the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders for a second-round pick, which was an interesting development north of the border. But here's my bold prediction, and I know Johnny Manziel had off-the-field stuff. Lamar Jackson, four years from now, will be starring in the XFL because Vince McMahon will be throwing big money, (laughs) a big money focus at Lamar Jackson to come over to the XFL where he's just going to be the face of the league. So there's my hot take for uh, the day, and now we go back over to Joe Everett for his final thoughts and impressions from the bowl season recap. Go ahead. Take it away, Joe. Just a few players and, and some thoughts. I mean, the L.J. Scott, Michigan State, big man, physical style. He ain't Le'Veon Bell, but I don't care. Uh, I want to see where he goes in the NFL. That's, it strikes me as a pro back. And then uh, his quarterback, Lewerke, doing some Lewerke. There ain't no doubt about it. I think Michigan State, uh, Felton Davis, I think he's coming back. Maybe he's a junior, but had a great game that whole team next season. Uh, they're looking strong uh, heading into 2018 and then staying in that state. Mo Hurst, wow. I'm just <laughs> taking his claim, putting a rubber stamp on that last season. You talk about good decisions to, to stay in. Uh, that's one. And then last player, Shaquem Griffin. I, I don't know where he fits either, but if I'm a GM, I'd want to save a roster spot for this kid. He just plays with his hair on fire. He doesn't think. He just reacts. He's a film junkie. He's just going to be one of those dudes that's a lifer is what he strikes me. If if I was in charge, man, I'm I'm leaving a light on for Shaquem Griffin. That that kid, uh, he could just ball. So uh, then the blowouts, that, that's one thing that really strikes me as a remnant. Like, they've got to fix this. There's zero incentive for some of these teams to show up and play. Uh, these coaching changes, not only does it hurt the recruiting cycle, but it, it's just resulting in some shit shows. On the SMU getting blowout. Akron got murked. FIU got spanked. Welcome back to football, UAB. You just got curb stomped in your bowl. Toledo gets shut out <laughs> completely. I mean, that, that some of these games were just dupe fests, and in particular the Pac-12. What the hell? I, I won an eight in your bowl games, Pac-12. Just stay home next season. Let your basketball team show up, and maybe we'll see some heart out there. Uh, thank God for Kyle Whittingham in Utah. At least they have a little pride out there. And I think it's just because you guys know Whittingham. He's just so buff, man. He may just he may kick your ass if you don't play hard on every down. <laughs> so I think that's why that's why they show up. And then just wrapping it up, guys, Arizona State, Pac-12. I'm predicting the world's worst season for them. I, I think that firing <laughs> of Todd Graham is going to go down as the dumbest thing in the last 10 years of college football. Uh, you got a guy who what five bowl games in six seasons, four winning seasons. Not only that, you went four and two against in-state rival Arizona. Uh, I'm get ready to fade Herm Edwards every single week. The Sun Devils, I think they're about to lose a boatload of games. And yeah, Pac-12, get your act together. <laughs> yeah, you know, and just a side note, I don't know if you guys saw the Herm Edwards press conference at all, but it was golden his introduction, and oh, yeah. I think like. One of the first reporters, <laughs> one of the first reporters introduced himself and said he was with the Sun Devil Daily, and Herm Edwards goes, "Whoa, 
well, hey, now, where are you based out of? He's like, well, right yeah. here in Arizona, <laughs> sir. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, you know, Herm, <laughs> check out the mascot before oh you take God. the job there, buddy. <laughs> um, last thought for me on the bowl game season is, uh, hey, shout out to the Big Ten, man. You know, they had a not only outstanding record, but they, they won with physicality uh, and dominance in, in the trenches. And um, I think they raised a few eyebrows uh, from some uh, nationwide observers. So uh, before we get to that championship preview matchup that we're all excited about, very briefly, gentlemen, I'll start off with you, Joe. Is it time? And I got to admit, I've, I've, I've evolved on my thought process here. If you asked me last year, I was perfectly fine with the four-team college football playoff, but I have to admit, after seeing what UCF did this year, and you mentioned the bowl game, what, you know, I don't care was Auburn motivated or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, the Knights shoved the ball down their throats, and you know, I'm a firm believer now that Let's put some emphasis. Let's put some value on these conference championships. Every Power Five conference needs to have a championship. I believe now it should be the five conference championships and winners and three at-large bids. And uh, just curious on what you guys think. Joe, you first. I wouldn't mind that if you've got the eight team and then uh, the the three remaining uh, from the non-power five, just uh, that's where you do your playoff committee. That's where you do your vote. Who would mm-hmm. be the best for this bracket? Totally. So yeah, I wouldn't be against that because right now at four, you just there really there's no good answer who you kick out here either. Because yeah, I guess Clemson would have been the weakest of the four, but that's the number one seed. So it's almost too no way to tell until you expand. So yeah, I'm a, I'm total agreement with expanding. Yeah, and then you got the four seed Alabama, who's favored in each of the two games. So, I mean, Justin, your thoughts? <laughs> Mo teams, Mo problems, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I think like no matter what, I think if you know you make it eight, there's that nine seed that's like we had it. We you know we had an argument, and I don't. I, I just I don't see adding teams solving things. I completely understand your guys' point, but it always feels like to me no matter what, there's going to be those few bubble teams. There's going to be, you know, more issues the more, you know, the more teams. Because let's say you, you put in, you know, four more teams. Let's, you know, seeds number seven and eight could probably be swapped with nine and ten. And then people will always have that argument. The teams will always give that kind of thing. There will be more strength of schedules to look through and figure out, you know, who really did what. And I kind of – I think – we just have to trust the committee to make the right decision with the four seeds. I think they did it right this year. Um, yeah, UCF beat Auburn and Auburn beat Georgia and Alabama, but we also have to do our scouting work and kind of look like, would UCF really have competed with Clemson or Georgia or Alabama or even Oklahoma? And for me personally, I don't think so. I know they just beat Auburn, so I sound stupid, but um on paper and watching the film, I don't – I think, you know, UCF was an overachieving team. They're great. They're cool. But I, I just – I think adding more than four teams is just going to complicate things so much more. For me, I'm, I'm down with the way it goes right now. I think the committee made the right choice. And, um, you know, that's my say in the, at least. Well, you know, it's so – it's crazy, and we got to move on. But I think, Justin, I could sit here and debate you uh, probably a whole entire show because – NFL has 32 teams and 12 teams get in, and I've seen wild card teams, 
you know, whether it's eight and eight, nine and seven, I think nine and seven, the Broncos were a wild card team, ran the table. And why can't UCF get hot? And I think if you go to eight teams, you avoid this dilemma where, hey, you know, we avoid the dilemma. If you're an undefeated team, you're going to be in that top eight. And then I think, you know, putting the, the emphasis and the value back on conference championships. And again, you can make points for and against all day long here. That's what makes it an interesting debate. And maybe we'll pick up this conversation again down the road on another show. But we've got to talk about this Georgia-Alabama matchup. SEC didn't do didn't fare too well in those bowl game matchups, by the way. But they won where it mattered the most, and that's in the Cusk Football Championship. And now <laughs> it doesn't matter. They lost every other bowl game. They got the two teams in the championship. So, to me, they are still the best conference from top to bottom. And that's just the way it is. Uh, Justin, we'll start off with you here. Open discussion. I mean, obviously, both teams – Locked and loaded, uh, a tremendous amount of talent. Now, you know, Alabama, known for shutting down the run. Georgia, known for running the ball. So the difference, could it come down to the quarterbacks where we have a freshman, true freshman, going up against the Alabama defense or an Alabama quarterback that just really has been making very bad decisions? Go ahead, Jay. Justin. For me, man, like, this game is perfect for Alabama. They excel facing smash mouth teams who kind of give away their intentions and play into Alabama's strength, which is their front seven, their physicality, um, you know, their ability to get after ball carriers and, you know, tackle well. I think this is – like in my notes right here, I'm writing down – I have so much written down, but this is the worst possible matchup for Georgia. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma would give Bama a better matchup. I think it would give them more to defend. It would, it would give them more to think about. It would make their game plan so much harder. But I don't see one spot that Georgia doesn't play right into Alabama's hands in this one. You know, I think both of their front, both of their front lines, defense and offense, are, have the potential to get worked. I mean, Florida kind of have their way with Georgia's front line, even though, um, you know, Georgia took, you know, Florida the woodshed, when you d- break down the, the matchup in the trenches, Taven Bryan and some of those Florida guys really, um, you know, destroyed the, the smaller O-line of Georgia. Their left tackle is Isaiah Wynn. He's 6'2". He lacks some length. Is he going to be able to handle the pass rushers from Alabama? Are they, are they going to be able to move Deron Payne and Raekwon Davis off the ball? I don't think so. Um, and I think when you shut down Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle – that leaves it up to Jake Fromm, who we saw get a little rattled and get a little inaccurate last game against Oklahoma. Now he's facing a much bigger, a much faster team. He's going to be put, you know, in situations that are obvious passing downs. He's going to be behind the chains a lot. This doesn't go well for Georgia for me. The only thing that I have positive for them is at least Kirby Smart knows Nick Saban. (laughs) That's his thing. Um, He knows Saban. He knows the way he game plans. He knows what he looks for. And the, the other thing I wrote down is that I think Ridley will be a non-factor in this game, mainly because Jalen Hurts is just so terrible that, you know, Ridley might destroy the Georgia secondary every single play, but it's not going to matter because, you know, Hurts can't hit him. But Hurts is also another running back. So, you know, Lorenzo Carter, Davin Bellamy, Roquan Smith, these guys have an extra guy to worry about running the ball on every single down. Um, and that's, that's just that's just not going to work because I don't think their pass rushers can get to him. I don't think um, Alabama's O-line is going to give up a lot 
you know, in, they're going to dominate the run game and they're also going to pass protect well. This game for me just doesn't sit well. Um, it it kind of feels like the Notre Dame Alabama game from like five or six years ago when, you know, one team made it in against Alabama, but they are sorely outmatched. I think Bama just rolls this one. Wow. Okay. Well, it's definitely going to come down to the trenches. And, you know, I think both teams are going to run the ball a lot. And, uh, you know, the things that stand out to me here, Joe, and what Justin echoed is, first off, that Alabama front, I mean, I think they were a little pissed off at the fact that the Clemson defensive front was getting all the media hype, and they just came out and, and made a statement, in my opinion. And, you know, Jake Fromm, Joe, for for what he's done up to this point is really incredible, in my opinion. I mean, he's done a fantastic job and has been accurate, smart decisions, uh Throws the ball downfield even, and 23-5 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. I mean, this is a heck of a season this kid is having. But can he really possibly defeat a Nick Saban-led defense? Yeah, it's like Jake Fromm's the college version of Case Keenum. Like, Case Keenum's been great. Can he really beat the Patriots? <laughs> and, you know, yeah. like it boils down to that kind of thing. But um, I, I worry – I'm kind of in agreement with Justin here – not only the, the the aspects he brought up, but Georgia just got up for this game. I mean, overtime, they're jacked. Uh, that, that took a lot, I think, out of the team. And I, I just looked. The overriding thought is Alabama's defense is a whole lot better than Oklahoma's soft shell that they just blew up. And uh, one-dimensional teams. That's the aspect that Justin brought up. I think is very apt in this. Like, if it's up to Jake Fromm, I don't know how many situations he's going to come up uh, away as a winner. And, yeah, this is going to have to be Kirby Smart's finest hour. The adjustments he made at halftime against Oklahoma, credit to him, uh, he's going to have to do that same thing. So, you know, out coaching Brian Dable, if that's uh, what it is, I don't know that he knows as much about his offense as he would as uh, previous coordinators when he was there. But, yeah, just players to watch, pain and hand sticking out, Ronnie Harrison, all those uh, Alabama running backs, I think they're uh, worth, a, worth a view. And then Ridley, uh, Robert Foster. I mean, there's just uh, players out the wazoo. Uh, I think uh, you guys brought it up before, uh, that Roquan Smith on Georgia. That's just, if he's not a first rounder, then I'm just going to have to uh, put him up, pull up stakes and move my tent on. I don't know what I'm looking at. Uh, that guy's just all over the field. And I like their corner at Georgia, DeAndre Baker. Uh, I think uh, got his butt kicked uh, to start that game out, but just kind of kept grinding. Really the whole team kept grinding in that game. That was uh, so impressive. But yeah, I've got, I've got Alabama winning uh, this game, but I think the curious part is, you know, we talk about the little Vegas aspect. Uh, there's money coming in on Georgia. The uh, opener was four and a half down to four. So somebody out there really likes the dogs here. And, uh, well, who doesn't like a dog in the championship game? But this is a Nick Saban team against a former assistant in a big bowl game. I'm, I'm not standing in front of the Sabanator guys. I can't do it. Yeah, there's a lot of time between now and kickoff. And I believe that uh, – I'm I'm pretty sure I saw that like Nick Saban's like 11 and 0 or 12 and 0 against his uh, coaching tree. You know, guys that have come from his staff and that he's gone on to face. Yeah. He has yet to lose a game. Not only has he yet to lose, I believe I'm pretty sure 
every win has been in double digits. And I think that trend continues, uh, unfortunately or, fortu- or fortunately for the viewing audience, uh, depending on who you're a fan of. But we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Uh, I'm going to try and sneak in some Hall of Fame debate if we can at the end of the show if we have some time. But first off, you know, it, it is draft season. It's January the 4th, and if you're just tuning in, if you're catching this show in the middle part, you want to catch it in its entirety, you can download it on iTunes. We're on Block Talk Radio. It's posted up on the NFLDraftBible.com. Um, you know, I think I, I thought it would be fun to just talk about some of the guys in mainstream media, ESPN, NFL Network, CBS of the world, that, you know, they just talk about the same guys all the time. So it's pretty easy, you know, to talk – figure out, you know, take a look at who's too high, too low, you know, going into the combine process, obviously a lot is going to change. Draft boards are going to fluctuate. You know, combine is going to dictate some chocking and jiving, shifting up and down the draft board. Of course, uh, the all-star circuit is getting under the underway, but I thought it'd be a fun exercise to just take a look at and say, you know, who's being talked about too much, too overhyped, and who's really not getting enough uh, attention. So why don't we do it like this, fellas? We'll take – we'll go too high first for each of you, and then we'll come back and talk about too low. And, uh, Joe, let's start off with you. Who are some players that you're seeing out there in the mainstream media that you're just scratching your head and saying, you know, I, I, I just don't see it? Well, I'm going to break out my haters and my feather hat because I got three guys. Uh, Bo Scarborough, I've been his biggest critic today. I think he's the third best running back on his own team. I hate when he gets compared to Derrick Henry because Henry's clearly more talented, more explosive, just a better all-around athlete. And uh, his teammate, Damian Harris, I, I love him. There's a reason he's leading them in yards per carry, he leads them in touchdowns, leads them in rushing yardage. He's a better player. Uh, he's also the better receiver. And then that freshman, Najee Harris, just get this kid. The, I mean, he has some serious juice now. And, heck, I'll even take Josh Jacobs. I think that guy might be a better pro than, than Scarborough. I think the real big knocks that a lot of people aren't considering with Big Bo is it's medical. I mean, two missed games last year, the knee sprain. He broke his fibula in the national championship game last year. Uh, tore his ACL as a freshman in the right knee, and then he's got another ACL and a broken ankle dating back to high school. Uh, I, I think teams that do their homework on Bo Scarborough won't be drafting him as high as some of the media just has him like, oh, he's one of the top backs in this class, just yet another Alabama back. Well, wrong Alabama back. It's Damian Harris. That's that's the player. Uh, another one, and this will not be popular, but Cortland Sutton. I'm happy for Sutton. Great career. You know, good for him declaring, similar to Quinn. Your coach is moving on, no choice. Two great seasons statistically, but I'm seeing a gimmick offense, and every single one of his passes I still see is contested. When he's wide open, it's because of blown coverage, not this clean release. And people, I've read he has excellent speed. I'll, I'll wait to see it. Hopefully he tests well, but I, I'd be shocked if he runs something in the four fours. I mean, that's a four five, maybe a four six guy when we actually find it. Uh, I just don't see the consistency there. And in this wide receiver class, I mean, I'd, I'd rather have a Deion Kane, uh, Christian Kirk. I'd rather have him, Calvin Ridley. Uh, give me James Washington, Dante Pettis. 
later. I'll take Alan Lazard much later. Jaleel Scott, the kid from I – mean, I'd, I'd go ad nauseum of wide receivers. I'd rather have at a discount as opposed to taking this Sutton kid as high as people are talking. Like he's the first receiver off the board. Uh, not on my watch, man. And then my last one, um, I've had a T-shirt with a circle cross through this guy's face for a while now. Martinez Rankin, Mississippi State. I love yeah. hearing how he's the day one pick. I love how he always left tackle. Sure, buddy. Um, I just see a, a guy that run blocks pretty well. He's from that zone scheme, and, you know, he can get out in the way and move, but that's about the extent of it. Uh, he gets to the next level, but I find him moving, uh, missing moving targets, and generally just someplace he won't block anybody. And the one thing that stinks about any lineman that you watch, you hate to see when a guy just doesn't want to finish or doesn't even have the will to finish. I just, it never, on the end of a play, do I see him pancaking somebody or just, you know, all out on top. So uh, he's going to be at the Senior Bowl, and I can't wait to see uh, Landry whoop up on him. Uh, Nwosu's probably going to beat him with speed. Uh, give me Okoronkwu. Give me Jalen Holmes and Taquan Lewis from Ohio State. Our boy Marcus Davenport. Uh, I'm, I'm going to nickname Martinez Rankin Titleist after this week because he's going to be like a golf ball lost in the weeds, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I thought you were going to go with the turtle. We had one guy last year who was calling turtle because he was always on his back. But, uh, you know, Rankin, I think he's just – Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why he's up in Canada. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> you know, listen, Rankin, I think it's – I think it's just the media is so such a copycat thing where one person says he's a first round pick and everybody just goes with it. Um, especially with the off- offensive linemen, people don't want to do their homework on that. Cortland Sutton, you mentioned. You know, I, I've been doing the uh, shows. I'll be on ESPN Hawaii tonight. I'll have the link up on NFL Draft Bible Twitter. You know, the one guy I've been comparing him to coming out is like Alshon Jeffrey. A lot of question about his speed. I think, you know, Cortland Sutton looks like a four five five guy to me on tape. And then, you know, Bar- Bo Scarborough, you mentioned, Joe. I mean, to me, I just keep thinking Terry Allen, you know, <laughs> from back in the day. This guy had like so many arthroscopic knee surgeries and injuries, but he kept bouncing back. And I think Bo can do it because he's just, he's built so big. But, you know, we talk about guys getting bigger, stronger, faster every year, I don't think it's no coincidence that that's why we see so many torn ACLs and muscle tears and uh, more frequent injuries, to be quite honest. So with that being said, uh, guys that are being talked about too high for you, Justin. I'll be quick. I'll be quick because Joe took a lot of time. Thanks, Joe. Uh, <laughs> but I do second what Joe said. Uh, Corlin Sutton's in my notes too. And like, you know, he's talked about so high, but, it, this is a build-up speed guy with, like, you know, it, it, he's not super physical. I, it, I just don't know how he gets to the NFL and dominates right away. I don't see it. He's not a route runner type. He's a, he's kind of a poor man's Mike Evans, where if you keep him from, you know, getting in that – if you keep him from getting in out of his breaks, if you just let him kind of run posts or nine routes, it's like he might go up and adjust for the ball and, you know, compete. But he's not blowing anyone away. He's not a deep threat, so – I'm with Joe. I, I do not see the Cortland Sutton first round hype. I think that's absolutely insane. Um, but I got a weird one for you here, and it's more about I just don't know what this guy is yet. Um, Christian Wilkins from Clemson. You know, I keep seeing him in mock drafts going top five, top ten, but 
yeah, he's a freak athlete. He's a huge dude. He's an insane athlete. Maybe one of the best athletes we'll see in this class. But on tape, and, and mainly because of the way Clemson <clears throat> has used him, what is he? Uh, how does he win? I, I've yet to see him really dominate with speed or power. He's kind of that guy that just fits in with the rest of the group where you're not sure what his standout trait is. You're not sure if he's an angry finisher. You're not sure if he's a gap penetrator, if he's a Duran Payne type where he can, you know, dominate at the point of attack and stack and shed. I just genuinely am not sure what I would be getting if I drafted Christian Wilkins. I don't know what his best spot would be. I don't know where he excels or where he wants to excel. And that's just one of those things where <clears throat> the way he's been used in college has given us kind of a limited sample size um, on certain things. And last year he had to play edge because of some injuries. So there's really only been like one true year where you see, um, you know, an, a guy that's seasoned in, in his body for a few years where you get to see what he would be in the NFL. And this year kind of didn't really, it didn't really answer a lot of the questions for me at least. So, yeah, he's an amazing athlete, but I don't know what he is. Um, and then another one, on Johnson, the running back from Auburn. A lot of people are giving him, you know, high grades right now. We're talking about him potentially being a first-round pick. Well, that's cool, but let's, you know, let's cool it a little bit because th- this is a high-hipped guy who's kind of a one-speed runner. Um, he's got a little wiggle to him, but overall, you know, why take a guy – why take a running back this high – who you could take, you know, there's so many other backs in this class that are maybe they translate a little better. They're more nimble. They're quicker. Carry um, on Johnson could be your workhorse back in the NFL, but he's not a game breaker. He doesn't have fantastic long speed or one dominant trait that's going to, you know, make you want him in the first round or maybe even the second round. It, it just feels like we're reaching a little bit to, you know, project the media is at least to project guys up. You know, one person says, Oh, look at that Georgia game. He made Lorenzo Carter miss in space. Definite first-round pick. Uh, pump the brakes a little bit. I, I, I just don't see that with him yet. All right, Justin, uh, we're running down to the nitty-gritty. Players that are too low, that are not being talked about enough in the mainstream media. Go. Too low. Alabama, Levi Wallace, that cor- the cornerback. Um, you know, he's a mm-hmm. walk-on. But the kid is long, fluid, fast, quick, um, everything you'd want, instinctive. Uh, we saw him break on that slant against Deion Kane in the, in the playoff game. I mean, most cornerbacks are beaten on that route. He was, I think, flipped around the, the other way entirely. But he swings his hips around, breaks on the ball, breaks it up. And I think, I don't remember who got the interception for the touchdown, but, I mean, that's a play that looks simple. But as a cornerback, that is insanely tough to do. Um, he shadowed Kane most of that game. I just think because he's a walk-on and this is his first year, you know, in the spotlight, he's not getting the talk. But this is a potential first-round corner. The only knock I might have is long speed. And even then, he might prove me wrong at the combine. Or I just might not have seen enough, you know, good film on him to understand if he has a long speed. But uh, for me, Levi Wallace is that guy that is like, let's, let's look past his reputation and what we know of him prior to Alabama. This is a first-round player. You know, uh, Levi Wallace reminds me of Malcolm Butler. And, you know, I know Malcolm Butler wasn't a high draft pick coming out, but if we had to do it all over again, he would be a first-round pick. So that would be my comparison there. Um, Anybody else, Justin, or can we go over to Joe? Also one last guy in because he's a Colorado guy, and, you know, I live in Colorado. 
Uh, Michael Gallup, the wide receiver from CSU, I've talked about him before, but I, I, there's not a lot of weaknesses in this kid's game. He's fast. He's quick. He's got the he's got the burst. I mean, in the open field, you see him pull away from guys quick. He makes a ton of contested catches. Sometimes I wish he separated a little more, but you know, Nick Stevens isn't doing him any favors. So um, can he be a potential Des Bryant type where, yeah, he's not a deep threat, he's not a burner, but he's got just enough juice and physicality to win. And I think potentially, yes, um, Michael Gallup deserves more media hype than what he's getting right now. Agreed, agreed. That's Justin Gamble's take. We're going to go over to Joe Everett for his take. And, uh, Joe, Michael Gallup is a guy we've talked about a lot on this show. Uh, How high can he go? Is he in the first-round mix consideration? And then also your guys that are too low. I don't think he's day one, but he's that player that a team's going to get a great value on because I agree there's not a lot of holes in his game. And just that's another kid that, unlike Sutton, he gets separation. And it's just based on his route running, just on his speed, explosion he has. So and I always fall for those community college kids. I think he's Butler Community College or both in Pringle and, and Gallup are teammates there. So that's, you know, coming out of a good program uh, like that, you know, you just can't underestimate the coaching you get, even at the lower level. I don't care if it's, you know, Coffeeville has good program, produce some wide receivers, and those are the types of things you kind of look for underlying in a guy like Gallup. I think, uh, yeah, he's he's just going to be a good player. I don't that maybe maybe day two is where it happens, but yeah, I got a couple guys. I, I bang the table, guys. I, I don't care if you know what room I'm in. I just let it be known. Uh, Chukwuma Okurafor, the Western Michigan. I think he's a first rounder. No one's talking about it. Uh, I've, I've loved the potential. I've read now my boy Eric Galco, his last piece. I think he threw out a little first round grade, but I've been banging on this kid's door since last year. I think Justin and I were even mentioning he may have oh, first yeah. round potential at last year's combine, right? So, oh yeah, man, I, we talked about him in Texas too. I mean, we said he's better than Moton, and Moton got all the hype. Oh man, this kid, and what the real story is. Six years, maybe seven years of football. That's it. I mean, he's from uh, Botswana, like, you know, southern part of Africa there. We're talking about a a soccer player. So the upside there, I think, the amazing feat, the coordination, that's that's what translates. And there's a reason he played from day one as a freshman. Sure, it's the Mac, but uh, I I think we're talking about a rare athlete. And it's another kid. uh, I expect him to test extremely well with what he can do with his feet. Uh, I think he's going to be a star in Indianapolis. And then on the other side of uh, not ranking, whereas Akurafur against some of these big pass rushers at the Senior Bowl, that's going to be my – big thing to watch at the end of January. I think uh, this Chooks is going to be making a bunch of money in the next few months here, and not a lot of people are talking about him. And then the other guy, we'll see him in the national championship game, Ronnie Harrison. I don't understand he's not being talked as a first-rounder. I think he hits like a ton of bricks. He flies around 100 miles per hour. I like the angles he takes. I like the intimidation factor. And one thing to consider here is the copycat league we're in. Everyone wants to run this Seattle defense, which is, you know, it's basically the same USC defense Pete Carroll's been running since the 90s, but tell me what's hip. Uh, Anyways, everyone wants Cam Chancellor. They all want Earl Thomas. Safety is now a fad. The Falcons drafted Keanu Neal in the first round to be their chancellor. Well, 
Look at the Chargers. They're still running with Gus Bradley. They need a Cam Chancellor. Look at the 49ers. Uh, Jimmy Ward, I think he's on the last year of his deal. He's ended up two years on injured reserve. Eric Reed's a free agent. Jaquaski Tart, last year of his deal. So uh, the Niners are going to need a safety. Jacksonville needs a safety. Houston, Chiefs, the Redskins would make a lot of sense. I think uh, Ronnie Harrison, man, he just strikes me as like a, a young Sean Taylor, and I don't even want to throw that around crazy-like, but that's how hard he hits people. I mean, it just he just leaves that lasting impression, and that's definitely a guy, I think, to, to watch for the national championship game. And just close it out, uh, Christian Kirk that Justin brought up, I'm, I'm glad he came out too. Uh, I think we're this guy on SMU, maybe Oklahoma or a Baylor type of offense. Uh, he'd be talked about as the top receiver in this class. He's just got that rare get up and go. I expect him to run in the four threes. Uh, tremendous kick returner. His time speed should be jaw dropping. Uh, should should have a righteous three cone drill for whatever that's worth. But uh, I think he he compares favorably to like a poor man's Odell Beckham. Like that kind of speed. That's how he could separate. It's just I think the real difference is it got to be ball skills there and just. There's no proven real stats. I mean, it, like he hasn't done it year to year, and he's not from one of those programs that just inflates numbers. But Christian Kirk, man, I, that's a guy. You, you just can't wait to see where he goes to a pro. If he goes to a pass-happy team, look out. I mean, he's he's going to be a much better pro than uh, the collegiate player. Uh, Joe, a lot to – I wish I had time to follow up. Ronnie Harrison, I could argue, is the best defensive player in this year's draft. But one-word answer, and I'll go over to you, Justin, for a one-word answer, and then we'll wrap it up. Coming out, higher-rated prospect, Amari Cooper or Calvin Ridley, uh, Joe? i go with Amari, a little more polished up. <clears throat> Justin? Amari, Amari Cooper, height, weight, speed, baby. Okay, I'm gonna go Calvin Ridley. I think I think this guy is the top wide receiver in this year's draft, and I think he's got. Uh, I think he will be a more productive NFL player than a collegiate player. I'll leave it at that. With that being said, it's been NFL uh, draft Bible extravaganza bonanza. It's another edition, and I was really trying to hope uh, to sneak some of this Hall of Fame debate in there, and and it's it's truly, honestly, it's probably a whole entire show. So maybe maybe we'll discuss doing a Hall of Fame uh, finalist debate show because I, I think that's very interesting stuff. Maybe we can get our friend Gary Myers on. He's a Hall of Fame voter. Maybe we can inject him into the conversation. But if you like our show, touch it, taste it, like it, lick it, feel it, share it, like it, share it. <laughs> copy paste it <laughs> now we're on blog talk radio we're on itunes we're on nfl draft bible.com this is what we do we can't stop we won't stop talking about the nfl draft since 2002 it's what we do there's going to be a lot of imitators out there we're often imitated never duplicated and you know shout out to all our haters and but more importantly to all our supporters um you know we've been doing this a long time and and, and this is what bleeds through our veins and uh, if you cut me open, man, I'm going to bleed NFL draft, which is held in uh, Dallas, Texas this year, just four months away. We're here January 4th. We're getting ready to uh, embark on the all-star circuit, and then we'll be out in Indianapolis for the uh, National Scouting Combine, which is leading to the NFL Scouting Combine. Well, I know there might be a little confusion there. Hey, listen, uh, check the beginning of the show. We discussed all that. Shout out to all the uh, – 
people that support the show, uh, Parabolic Performance and Rehab, go parabolic.com, Define Fuel Order, uh, DefineFuel.com, and all the good people at Premier Athlete Advisors, Adam and Matt, PremierAthleteAdvisors.com. Of course, uh, we want to thank Justin Gamble, always dropping a hammer on him when it comes to uh, delivering NFL draft knowledge. It's always good to get his opinionated evaluations, and you can get more of that. <laughs> on Twitter, at GamScout, G-A-M, Scout. Of course, Joe Everett, never leaving a stone unturned, man. All the all the stones in my backyard are flipped over from this guy. He's just flipping them all over <laughs> and finding you know, all these draft gems. You can follow him, at Joe W. Everett, of course. Bang the Books podcast right here on Blog Talk Radio. You can find them on Twitter. They do um, some odds and, and uh, things like that. Um, and then also uh, RIC, in a place to be. That would be me, Rick Saratella, telling it like it is when it comes to the NFL draft since 2002. We appreciate everybody, and this is what we do. So please join us. We're going to try to do this each and every Thursday. We'll have at least one new podcast each and every week leading up to the 2018 NFL draft. Check us out, NFLDraftBible.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, at NFLDraftBible. Uh, if you want to get on board with some advertising, we're hitting at least like 2 million people just on Twitter alone now. We're coming off our biggest month of all time at the NFL Draft Bible for the month of December. Um, we are really reaching the masses. So if you want to get on board, sponsor, advertise, opportunities are still available. NFL Draft Bible Scout Plus. Find us, baby. This is what we do. All right? Nobody's doing it better. That's the truth bottom line and no disrespect to anybody else but hey, if i didn't believe in the staff and the scouting department that we have here at the nfl draft bible then hey i'll put my scouting department up against any of the 32 nfl teams so with that being said for joe everett justin gamble rick saratella we appreciate all the love and support we'll catch you right here next week can't stop won't stop baby till the next time keep it locked